Church. Happy to be with you. My name is Austin. I am the youth pastor here at Branches, and I also help host young adults. We are having a young adults gathering tomorrow night at the warehouse from 7 to 8.30, gathering for a time of worship, time in the Word, and an awesome time of community. Branches Youth is still happening right now. I have my students entrusted to my awesome leaders. We have Dakota, son of Sumner, teaching over at the youth. So they are in good hands. And yeah, this is a morning of praise. I have uh, 11 days left until perhaps baby boy comes. I hear it's a big perhaps. It's not always on the due date, but 11 days away. Let's go. Super excited. And... I gotta say, this is of the greatest Sundays of the year. Like, we have Easter Sunday, and then this year we have Christmas on a Sunday. So, this could be like number three, where we get to sleep in an extra hour. This is amazing, right? Right? We didn't earn this. We didn't ask anyone. We kind of just woke up and we had an extra hour of sleep. I went to, I woke up this morning at five. Waking up at five has never felt so good or good at all. It's awful, but it was less awful this morning, so I'm going to praise God about that. And it's Potluck Sunday. Fallback schedule landing on Potluck Sunday. Divinely orchestrated. Come on, Jesus. If you are new here, this is like one of the best Sundays of the month to be at Branches. Filled with the word, filled with the breakfast burrito. Hallelujah. Jesus, all this to say, the Lord is faithful He gives us rest, an extra hour. He fills us up, and then he leads us out to be his image bearers, to advance his kingdom as we partner with him. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we dive into 2 Thessalonians. The Lord is faithful, so we must respond to his faithfulness. Let's dive into God's word. This is going to be out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The words will be up on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Pray with me, church. So, Lord, we never want to just read your word. We want it to penetrate our hearts. We never want to just roll up on a Sunday and leave just as we were. We want to be changed. And we know that change is in your hands. We know that you have the transformative power for hearts and minds, Holy Spirit. So we welcome you in this space and we pray for your transformative work. May we love you more as we understand your love for us even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul really opens up the playing field with this intro saying, pray for us, pray for us. Paul, the apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament by the power of the Holy Spirit, is asking for prayer. How much more so should we be praying for our pastors? As Paul, he wasn't above asking for prayer, but asked for it. So we, as a church, we should be praying for our leaders. Pray for Andrew Shea. Pray for Brian Albright. And please, pray for me. Please. Two words. Youth ministry. I need prayer, guys. 
What we see here is unity displayed in Paul's request for prayer. We have two chapters of him praying over the church of Thessalonica, and now he's like, I would love you to pray for me. And this is the dynamic of a healthy church community, one that is prayed for by leaders and one that prays for leaders. It's an act of unity. It's an act of kingdom come. Paul, he asked for prayer that the gospel may spread rapidly and also be honored, just as it was with you, he said, just as it was with you, Church of Thessalonica. But notice the verbiage, spread rapidly and honored. He wasn't content with it just spreading. He was asking for prayer that it would be honored, meaning that the gospel would do its transformative work in people's lives. It would take root in their hearts, making them truly to the new creations in Christ Jesus. For if the message doesn't take root, there won't be any fruit. There won't be the fruit of the Spirit overflowing from the life of a believer. The end goal, truly, isn't just for countless people to hear the gospel. The end goal is for people to become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, people that are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul puts in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, not as we once were, no longer conforming to the ways of the world, but changed, walking anew as we walk in the spirit. Paul's praying that the gospel would be honored, not just hear it. It's not enough to just hear it, but that those who receive it would allow it to transform them, that they would be conditioned in Christ's likeness, rather continue as they once were. Think about it like this. Many of you know about my Volvo Rose because I talk about her all the time because she has a lot of issues and it makes for a lot of sermon analogies. I like don't know what I'll do when I sell that car one day, but I hear if you have a kid, you can reference it in a lot of analogies. But... I have this Volvo 1986, super quirky, one of the latest quirks, doesn't have AC. Air blows out, but it's not conditioned. It's not AC. I have A. I can't afford the C. I have unconditioned air, and it is pointless. And my high school boys roast me about it. I take them skating. We get in the car. We're sweaty. I turn on my A. I turn off my A. Roll down the window. I'll get you a water from 7-Eleven. They're not into it. And you guys remember... Those days in September, hotter than Hades, rolling down the window, didn't do the trick. Turn on the A, didn't do the trick. It was literally just hot air. It made it worse. Like, it couldn't be worse. It was worse. And you see, to be a disciple of Jesus who doesn't walk in the way of Jesus, it's like air conditioning without the conditioning. It's just hot air on a hot day. It's not doing anything. It's not fulfilling its role. And just like... Air needs to be conditioned for it to be soothing to the body. So does a Christian need to be conditioned to be soothing for the soul. And not just theirs, but for those around them. We are to be like the cool breeze of Jesus. Or as Paul puts in 2 Corinthians, we are the aroma of Christ. How does that come about? From being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing as Jesus would do if he were you today. This is how we honor the gospel we receive, allowing it to transform us, allowing it to condition us in Christ's likeness, no longer as we once were, 
No longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. This is Paul's prayer for the church. So how does the church of Thessalonica get there? How do we get there? We get there by the spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices of the faith. That being reading scripture, not simply hearing scripture when you're here on a Sunday morning, but spending that intentional time for yourself having that daily bread, having that daily intentional act to be with the Lord and allow his word to transform you. Time in prayer, this two-way thing that we have with the Lord, this constant communion, constant access where we speak to and listen to the Lord. Community, you guys are crushing it. You're all here right now. Good job, 10 out of 10. Being in community, being with those who bear the image of Jesus. We learn more about Jesus as we are with those who resemble him, as we are with those who are a part of the body. And last, generosity and serving, giving of our time, giving of our resources in order to honor the one who's given us our resources, given us our capacities. And see, these aren't spiritual suggestions of Jesus These are the spiritual disciplines. These aren't suggestions that I'm simply giving you. This is a life source that I'm giving you. This is how you actually begin to live. As God, he created the fabric of reality. He knows how it functions best and calls us into following him in this way. So again, how do we begin to look and live more like Jesus? Time spent in his word, consistency in prayer, being in community as you are today and living generously with your time, with your resources. How we respond to the faithfulness of Christ is by living faithful to him, living in alignment with him, conditioned by him. And this comes from living out the spiritual disciplines, not spiritual suggestions. And in doing so, we honor the gospel that we have received. It begins to take root and then spiritual fruit is born as a result. Next, Paul asked that he and his crew would be delivered from wicked and evil people. Now, who are these wicked and evil people? It is anyone who desires to hinder the work of the gospel, to get in the way of kingdom advancement, those who are as a result under the influence of the evil one. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning it's not against people but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, all people are so loved by God, but they might get caught slipping and be used for the schemes of the enemy, used to hinder the gospel, tear people down, belittle people though they bear the image of God. See, the enemy is at work. It's evident. That's why Paul is asking protect us. Lord, deliver us. You would think, won't Paul lose heart over people not having faith? Won't people, he lose heart over people falling into the schemes of the enemy within the church communities that he is planting? But verse three, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen his people. It's a good reminder for us today. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Not just protect us, he will strengthen us. And what does that imply? Does that imply that all of our troubles will just evaporate? That's not the case. But he will give us the capacity to endure through the trials. 
The Lord will give us protection from some and others he'll give us the capacity to endure, the strength to push through, even when it seems like all forces are against us. Think about it like this. I used to be super into cycling when I was in high school and college. Has anybody heard of a fixed gear bike? Anybody remember that? It was like hot in 2012 been a minute. I was super into those bikes. It was like the single speed that didn't have gears. You couldn't stop pedaling. They didn't have brakes. They were called the death bike. I got hit by two cars. It was the death bike. They were pretty sketchy. Um, Something I would love to do on my fixed gear bike during my duration. Kind of glad that trend's over. Um, Something I would love to do is uh, ride my bike from my parents' house in South Huntington to North Huntington to Secret Spot Cafe. I would get a burrito from there. And this is an advertisement for Secret Spot. It's that good to ride not just a bike, but a fixed gear bike, 12 miles to get. But I would love to do that ride because I would be against the wind for 12 miles. I'd be exhausted, sweaty, starving. I would eat a large burrito that I earned and it was delicious. And then I would cruise back home 12 miles with the wind against my back and it felt amazing. And it happened nearly every time, but not every time. There were two or three times that I can remember because that pain is so real that I would ride with the wind at my face and then same thing on the way home. It's like as I'm eating a burrito and contemplating how great life is, the wind was like, gotcha, and just did a nice flip on me. And you know, you would think after the first time I experienced that, I'd be like, hey, maybe don't ride really far from home and eat a lot of food and then ride really far back home. But remember, I didn't have a brake on my car, on my bike. I didn't really have like a functioning brain at that point. And as we see in Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. I did the bike ride with the headwind times two, several times. I repeated my folly several times. All this to say, the Lord's protection will sometimes mean there will be wind at our backs. Other times there will still be headwind. And sometimes it is headwind both ways. And you may ask, when will I ever get a break? Pun intended for me, I never got a break on my bike. Very needed, never got one. But by God's strength, he'll give us the endurance through the headwind. Sometimes we'll be protected from trials. Other times, by the Lord's strength, you'll be able to endure headwind in both directions, growing in spiritual strength as a result. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So what do we do with this? We commit our trials and our tribulations to God. Any schemes of the enemy that are against us, we commit them to Jesus, knowing that what the enemy meant for evil, God can in turn bring about good. So we see in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So it's not necessarily saying that for us as followers of Jesus, everything is going to be good. That's not biblical. That is not it. However, God will work all things for the good. Everything that happens as we commit it to him, he can work for the good. What the enemy meant for evil, God can work for good. That is God's sovereignty. That is God playing the Uno reverse card on Satan. And it's awesome. We love to see it. Next, Paul writes that he is confident that the church will continue in obedience as they are sustained by God. How's that? 
Well, and his final prayer in this section is that the Lord may direct their hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. Paul knows that the best thing for the church is to have their hearts set on God, for their hearts to be directed into God's love and to Christ's perseverance. That's how they will be capable of walking in obedience despite the struggles, the trials that life throws at them. And the end result being a transformed life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, which could be otherwise read, what your heart is set on will determine your treasure. What your heart is set on will determine what is most important to you. Perhaps you've heard the expression, when you've given your heart to something. Have you guys heard that expression? Someone gives their heart to something. That implies that that it has become your treasure. It has become your everything. And when that's the case, the emotional health of your heart is going to be dependent on the success of what you treasure. Like take, for example, if you've given your heart to your job, you're going to have high highs with success. You're going to be feeling really good when you get that raise, when you get that promotion, when things go well, but you will be crushed beyond belief if you get fired. Or if you've given your heart to your hobbies, you are going to be overjoyed when you are doing great. You are going to be so ecstatic when you're able to do it all the time, but absolutely heartbroken if it gets taken away from you. You've lost your sense of foundation. And if I were to give my heart to my Volvo, bad territory altogether. I'll never do that. All this to say, if you give your heart to the temporary, you are at risk. But if the Lord is truly the treasure of your heart, your joy will be steadfast. Verse three, the Lord is faithful. And his faithfulness toward us, it's not dependent on circumstances. His faithfulness to us is dependent on his consistent character. And neither is the joy of the Lord dependent on our present situations, but it's derived from the Lord at any time, any day, any season. The joy of the Lord is at hand. And knowing this, Paul prays the Lord would direct the church's hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. That is how they will live a transformed life when the church's hearts are set on the Lord who is faithful. So let's dive into those, God's love and Christ's perseverance. First being God's love. What we see of it is in Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's a good picture of God, right? This is really good. This is his chosen bio for himself. If he had an Instagram, this would be his bio that he wants people to see. This is how he wants people to know him. Do you know him like so? First off, he is compassionate. His heart is drawn to his kids. He has compassion on those who are struggling. Then he is gracious. He is graciously loving those who do not deserve it. It's the definition of grace. It is a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. He is graciously loving those who don't deserve it. And he is slow to anger. He is slow to anger. Many won't like the word anger near God, but in Hebrew, it's translated long of nose, which is such a rad expression. I want everyone to take a deep breath in through their nose. 
Sorry if you have a stuffy nose and you can't participate. You ever do this when you're in an argument or you're upset about something? Take a deep breath in through your nose. Seems to kind of slow things down. Gives you like a moment of clarity. This is God's love displayed. Him being slow to anger. Him being long-nosed. Reason being, he is abounding in love and in faithfulness. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God's love is awesome. Amen? It's awesome. Let's next look at another text, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved the world in such a grand way. God didn't love the world like I love ramen. I know God loves ramen, but he so loves the world. It's this high quality of specific love. It is this so love. And what's the overflow of him so loving the world? He gave his one and only son, Jesus, who bears his likeness, Jesus, who is of the Trinity. And why did God do that? So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But is it just belief? Well, believe in the Greek is pistua, which means to put one's faith in with an implication that actions based on trust may follow which means it brings it back to Romans 12 too. Not conforming to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind when we are renewed of the mind, when we are transformed by the working power of the Holy Spirit and walking with him, we're walking into eternal life. And I grew up hearing that eternal life was just heaven later. That's not the case. The reality of eternal life is heaven today. For Jesus wasn't just talking about an eternal quantity of life, but an eternal quality of life. We get eternal life in him today. We get to experience heaven today. You, church, get to experience heaven today as you turn your attention to the almighty God who has not ceased to turn his attention to you. This is good news. A quick summary of the love of God that Paul wants the church's heart to be directed to compassionate, gracious, long of nose, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And how is that played out? He so loved the world that he sent us Jesus, that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish, but experience heaven from today to eternity. Next, Paul prays that the Lord would direct their hearts into Christ's perseverance. Christ's perseverance, it's found all throughout the gospel accounts, but let's hone in on two specific examples, his time in the wilderness and his time in the garden of Gethsemane. First, wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, of not eating food. Who gets hungry missing breakfast? 40 days, 40 nights, not eating food. The enemy, he thinks that this is the best time to go after Jesus, assuming Jesus is at some point of weakness. And here's what the enemy didn't see coming. Jesus was in a position of strength. 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and feasting. Fasting of food, but feasting on the presence and goodness of the Father. 
Jesus was coming from a position of strength. What the enemy saw as lack, Jesus saw as abundance. So Jesus persevered because his capacity was linked to the Father, not linked to outside circumstances. Jesus persevered because his capacity was linked to the Father, not linked to outside circumstances. Next example would be the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, he's about to be betrayed by a close friend, one that he traveled with, camped with, ate with, laughed with, cried with, served with for around three years. And he's well aware of what is going to happen. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be beaten nearly to death, followed by the most gruesome death possible on the cross. And he is literally sweating blood. Literally, he experienced hematohydrosis. It's this condition where capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands, they rupture, causing them to exude blood, which occurs under great stress. He is stressed. He asks his close friends, stay awake, stay in prayer, yet they keep hitting snooze. Jesus pleads with the Father three times, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. We might assume growing up that Jesus, he was all buff and doing push-ups before going to the cross, ready to muscle it. But what we often forget is though he is fully God, he's also fully human. He didn't want it. Father, is there another way? And the end result of his prayers, the cross is the only way. And Jesus takes it. Jesus perseveres. Why? Jesus persevered because his expectations were kingdom come, not his own. Jesus persevered because his expectations were kingdom come. Paul, he's praying the Lord would direct the church's hearts into Christ's perseverance because life is hard. Life is hard. Life needs to be persevered. And Jesus, he gives us the model of how to do it. Jesus shows us how to persevere. We don't roll over and whine about it. We don't go to substance abuse or anything like that, but we persevere with Christ's perseverance. As Jesus persevered because his capacity was linked to the Father, not outside circumstances, and Jesus persevered because his expectations were kingdom come. We are to follow Jesus' example in perseverance as we commit ourselves to the Lord who is faithful, as we make him our ultimate treasure that we may not be shaken. Wrapping things up and welcoming up the band, we serve a Lord who is faithful. We serve the Lord who is our protector, who strengthens us, who fills us with his love and perseverance. And when we make him our treasure, we will not be easily shaken. When we commit our whole selves to him, we discover that we finally become whole. We discover that wholeness comes from holiness. When we are living for the ways of the world, we will surely experience lack. But when we serve the Lord who is faithful, we will discover that in him, our good shepherd, we lack nothing. You see, church, the proper way to respond, proper response to a message is worship and walking away more aligned with Jesus. So as we go into this time of response, I want to encourage you, worship like you are singing out to the Lord who is faithful, 
not sing-along style. We are singing directly to God who has come near to us in the form of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He said he's with us always, and he means it. He is a God who's come close, so worship him. Sing out to him for all that he is, all that he's done, doing, and will do from the overflow of his faithfulness to you. And I want to challenge you to examine yourselves. Are you living a life that has been transformed by Jesus? Have you not just heard the gospel, but are living to honor it too? Has it taken root in your heart? Is God your ultimate treasure or is something else? Are you allowing God's love to radically shape your heart and mind? If not, begin today. For whichever path you'd like to take, let's all take a moment to be still before the Lord before we go into this time of worship. Will you bow your heads with me? So Lord, you are faithful and I don't want us to consider that lightly. I want the recognition of your faithfulness to compel us to worship, to compel us toward action, beginning with us raising our hands in this space and then using our hands to serve those who bear your image from this space on. Jesus, I want us to respond to your faithfulness. I want us to live from your faithfulness. Though we may be faithless, you cannot be unfaithful. You are faithful time and time again. So we praise your name for it, Jesus. We lift up our voices. We lift up our hands. We lift up our prayers. We lift up one another in prayer because you are the God who has come close. You are the God who adores us. So we praise your holy name. Will you all stand with me as we go into this time of response? Thank you.